This episode discusses miscarriage and other topics which may be sensitive to those who have experienced pregnancy loss. If that's you, feel free to skip this episode. Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. Okay, so we're back and big surprise, abortion bans are still against my religion. Um, are they still yep. against your religion? Yeah, still yes. still against our religion. <laughs> abortion bans are against my religion.com. If you ever want like any fun resources, um, we have uh, some t-shirts and other things up there uh, that have that fantastic message out there. We really did not know how prescient that statement was going to become post-Roe. But here we are every single week seeing new abortion bans crop up around the Midwest. It's like corn growing up (laughs) around us right now. Um, Indiana has done the incredibly stupid thing of moving forward and... I I almost don't want to say, like, an extraordinarily restrictive ban because, like, all the bans are extraordinarily restrictive, right? Mm -hmm. They passed a ban in Indiana. Indiana is, you know, absent any kind of court um, action. Indiana will go pretty much dark for abortion access September 15th. Abortion Mm -hmm. right now, as we're recording this and as you're probably hearing this for the first time, Abortion is still legal in Indiana until September 15th, 2022, or later, depending on what the courts do. But right now, it's not looking good for our friends in Indiana. Um, They passed a conception law, so from conception on, abortion banned in Indiana. Um, We also had bad news in the past couple of weeks from our friends in Kentucky. The injunction that was holding back their law got lifted, so now Kentucky is functionally dark for abortion access. The lights have gone out. Um, West Virginia has not been able to pass their ban yet. They have some people who apparently have some heartburn, maybe some scruples, I don't know, around banning abortion in West Virginia, but mm, probably gonna happen soon. So we thought it would be a really good idea amid all of the abortion bans that are cropping up all over the place to talk today a little about abortion criminalization and like what the future looks like in spaces where abortion is either banned or banned in most cases what does it look like to criminalize basic health care for individuals and Kelly, you you work also, in addition to your work with Faith Choice Ohio as a faith organizer, you work in development with an organization called If When How, and they just came up with a fantastic report over the last, like, 20 years, right? Like, 2000 to 2020, this study of abortion criminalization. Yeah, uh, so today, the day that we're recording this, August 9th, uh, we... Uh, released uh, a report done by our senior researcher, Laura Huss, um, and uh, it is called Self-Managed Abortion is Not Illegal in Most of the Country, but Criminalization Happens Anyway. Uh, she has been doing some some uh, some stuff today. I know she's going to be on NPR um, and all of that, and so this uh, report is like really... Uh, it just came out today, so I haven't read the whole thing, but it's really just interesting information and helpful for kind of figuring out what kind of landscape we're in now. Just actually talking about 
the um, instances of criminalization for self-managed abortion that have happened to date, which uh, in that 2000 to 2020 period, there are 61 cases that she documented. Um, And uh, just talking about what the statistics around those are, what the circumstances are. And um, I think, yeah, this is important. So we're definitely going to have this in the show notes after this, or uh, if you want to check those out. Uh, But one thing that I also wanted to talk about, you know, thinking about um, abortion being illegal from conception, I think like one thing I just want to touch on, and I know it's a little off uh, the criminalization conversation, but I think this is really important. And um, I got a lot of clarity around this in the last like uh, year. Um, Like when, when we say, you know, in Ohio that there is a six week abortion ban, right? So the way that like, pregnancies are measured is really strange at least at least to me so like if if a person um like was pregnant let's say that a person let's say I'll, I'll just use myself as an example if I uh had my last period on you know July 15th uh and now I am pregnant Um, Even if the time of conception was, like, say, uh, beginning of August, so, like, August 1st, the, like, how far along I am now is the amount of days since the first day of my last period. So, like, if it started on the 15th and today is the 9th, that is 16 plus (laughs) 9 25 days so I'd be 25 days a log which is like three weeks even if I only had sex on the first and that was when I conceived so like I would already be halfway through the allowance period for an abortion in Ohio and that is why when we talk about like you know like it is really hard for a person to even know that they're pregnant at six weeks uh, let alone know that they're pregnant, be able to schedule and have an abortion before six weeks. Um, that is what we're talking about. Anyway. Uh, well, and yeah. and ju- just to be clear, you say halfway through, like you're more than halfway through. Well, yeah, more than halfway. You would be looking at, um, in, in your example, if your last menstrual period date was the 15th of July, the sexual encounter was the 1st of August, that means you're eight days out from the sexual encounter. You're not necessarily going to know that you're pregnant right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. but you have 17 days from today to have your abortion in Ohio. Mm-hmm. So, like, not 17 days from today to figure out you're pregnant, call, make an appointment, wait in line, do, like, you have 17 days. Mm-hmm. To get all that done. To be not pregnant anymore. Yeah. And and the struggle is, like, even if you got a a procedure or, you know, clinic care on the very last day you were eligible, which is, I think, the 25th, because I think once you switch over to that last day, you're no longer, it's, it's six weeks plus, right? So, like, once you hit that day... That would only be 25 days from the sexual encounter that that mm-hmm. conceived. 
which just mm-hmm. blows my mind and makes me rageful every time. And especially, it's such you know, a tight I, and uh, thinking about for me, so I uh, have an IUD, and so I don't have a period. So I don't even know how one would calculate if I got, like, for, for one, getting pregnant with an IUD is, like, not, it you that literally could kill you if it is an ectopic pregnancy. So that's really bad. But if like considering how a lot of people have irregular or not pregnancies, um, irregular periods, then they may not know, you know, that they're pregnant because their period could just be weird or whatever. Um, And so if I'm like, you know, eight days out from the sexual encounter, I don't necessarily think that I'm pregnant and I may not even, you know, I probably am not even recognizing like big pregnancy symptoms, especially if I was thinking that my period was coming, it may just feel like PMS symptoms. So, um, that I just wanted to cover that because like part of the reason that people, you know, would possibly consider a self-managed abortion, um, is because they're beyond that point, you know, don't have access to, a um a clinic near them um and there are lots of reasons that people might have a self-managed abortion but i just wanted to to cover that real quick uh so (laughs) um this this article is really is really interesting as a report um and one thing that it really talks about is the like how how people are being targeted, who is being targeted, and um, how they're being reported. And I think, like, one of the things that's in here is just talking about how other people are the biggest threat to people who are seeking or having self-managed abortions. You know, there's been a lot of conversation Mm -hmm. and talk about period tracking apps and wanting to keep that data secure and, like, you know, really wanting to secure any information about people's reproductive lives um, because you don't want that data getting into the wrong hands and then getting criminalized. Um, But um, as Laura says in this report... um, The biggest (coughs) privacy threat is other people. Law enforcement were most often contacted by healthcare professionals, um, people that individuals reached out to when they were in need of care during or after abortions, after their abortions. And that is crazy to me. And then the other um, number of people is also talking about just acquaintances. And so, you know, we, we talked about this a lot in our self-managed um self-managed abortion and good faith sessions uh in our our trainings um but like i don't know just seeing this report and thinking about how healthcare reporters are or healthcare professionals are reporting people who are just seeking care is just astonishing to me so like one thing that i want to really make clear is that if a person were to have a self-managed abortion um, and then needed care after the fact, they are not required to say anything about having the self-managed abortion. If they go to a hospital and they say that they had a miscarriage, then they will be treated as if they had a miscarriage because it is so common for people to have miscarriages. And so like, people should be able to get the care that they need um, and... I know that that is just a question that people think about a lot. So, so I'm sure that. 
you know, one of the key things from uh, self-managed abortion in good faith, which is our self-managed abortion training at Faith Choice Ohio that we've been doing now for over a year and a half. <laughs> we've, been, we've been doing these <laughs> sessions at least two every month, sometimes many more, um, because we do uh, custom sessions for organizations and faith communities that want them. So just FYI, if you want a self-managed abortion in good faith trainer for your synagogue or your church or your community, just you know take a look at our training website. We'll put it in the show notes. But um, one of the things that we teach in self-managed abortion in good faith is that not only is a person not required to divulge the fact that they have taken mifepristone or misoprostol when they go to seek medical care, if they on the very rare occasion might need to seek medical care after using those pills, not only do they not have to legally say anything about those pills, there is literally no medical advantage or mm -hmm. disadvantage to a doctor knowing that the individual has taken those medicines. Those medicines are so safe, they're safer than Tylenol, that the treatment is exactly the same for a person who has complications from a self-managed abortion as a person who is having a, a spontaneous miscarriage. And I, I find it fascinating in this report from If When How, <clears throat> you know, we've heard so much about kind of the, the tech panic around all of our digital security. And we've heard a lot about, oh, delete your pregnancy tracker apps. And they're, you know, people are going to come and they're going to use the pregnancy tracker apps. To, and I'm, I'm not downplaying any of that. Like, obviously, like, criminalization is just this evolving morass of obstacles. And, you know, you definitely want to be careful in every respect. But as much play and as much airtime as freaking pregnancy apps have gotten, not a single case in the past 20 years has been related to any kind of digital security breach related mm -hmm. to things like pregnancy apps. So 2020, all the way back to 2000, that is the 20-year mark. Now, you know, some of that uh, pregnancy apps have not been around that entire, like, 20-year history. However, the big thing that the article, you know, emphasizes is that, okay, pregnancy apps could be a vulnerability, but what is definitely a vulnerability and has been a vulnerability for the last 20 years are other people sharing information they don't need to share. Mm -hmm. um, immediately when, when, you know, Kelly, when you introduced this article to me, I said, oh, I immediately thought of the last, like, big name case here in Ohio around pregnancy criminalization, pregnancy outcome criminalization, um, mm -hmm. which is the, the case from Newark, Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. um, a, you know, a woman had decided she didn't want to be pregnant. Um, her partner had decided he was going to help and they tried to procure medicine and because they did not have free and open access to mifepristone and misoprostol it took a long while it was during the pandemic there were supply chain issues we all remember the supply chain issues from you know toilet paper to tuna fish right like everything um they eventually got these medicines they were shipped from abroad and she took these medicines 
and had a complication because she took these medicines at 28, 29 weeks. And FDA uh, guidelines for misoprostol put that number at 12 weeks and earlier if you use Mm -hmm. according to FDA protocol, which you will find out if you take self-managed abortion in good faith. We give you all that information, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But this individual, because there were limited options, limited access, and there was a long time delay, also had, had relatively little information about how to safely use these medicines. This individual did the best they could in the moment and ended up in kind of a rough situation because the body takes a lot um, of strain at that point in time at 28, 29 weeks. The other struggle is the fetal proceeds, the fetal remains are much more at that point in time. So it got broadcast all over. Oh, you know, this, you know, horrible problem and complication and issue. And the reality is the criminalization of that person happened because they went to a doctor, shared with a doctor what had happened, and the doctor ratted them out in, you know, no uncertain terms to law enforcement, Mm -hmm. who then tried to find some way to criminalize them and the behavior that they had, had engaged in. When the reality is that individual simply did not want to be pregnant. So, mm-hmm. you know, here in Ohio, like, I, I keep telling people, yes, okay, you know, digital security, I got it. But the biggest concern that you have historically and in the present is what you tell other people and what other people tell about you. It's very important that when people decide they don't want to be pregnant anymore, and if a person chooses to engage in a self-managed abortion that that person knows that they do not owe anybody that information. Mm. A person does not have to share about any part of their medical history. We have medical privacy laws in in these United States for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it just the entire the entire bent in her article um, around this is the real problem, right? Privacy. Which, mm-hmm. ironically, is the whole reason <laughs> that Roe was decided in the first place, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. privacy is important. And I think, like, uh, another another part of this is talking about, like, how um, not only does the, or has the criminalization of the people in these 61 cases um, affected them, like, in the process of going to court and, like, all of those things, uh, whether or not their cases are dismissed or not. Uh, But, like, you know, in this one paragraph, it says, uh, the harm lasts. Conviction or not, several people lost custody of their children temporarily or permanently. In Mm. one case, while local authorities declined to prosecute a woman after uh, acknowledging the self-managed abortion was not lawful, they still turned her over to immigration authorities for deportation. And so, like, these, you know, situations where, you know, the government is... controlling people's ability to care for their own bodies and to, you know, uh, it it sucks that we live in such a time where you have to be nervous about what you say to your doctor. Like it's, it, it's just, it sucks. And, and let us be clear (laughs) that, uh, a majority of these people are not the white people. Uh, 
the, <laughs> the white people. I'm sorry, I didn't read it like that, but or did I? Um, but, you know, predominantly, of course, the people who are being criminalized in these cases are um, people of color and people who are of a lower socioeconomic class, because those are always the people who are being more targeted and more focused on when it comes to the criminalization of their bodies. It just it's just always been that way. And so, I mean, we're we're kind of just in this time where we have to be sure of who we trust and uh, only give the information that's most most necessary um, when when in situations regarding your privacy. Um, you know, I think the the hardest thing is that thinking about like these healthcare providers that are, you know, then then reporting these people, like I know that when I go to the doctor or whenever I'm filling out those little forms when you go to the doctor um, about like, you know, what symptoms have you had or like whatever. Um, why are you coming in? What is your history? Stuff like that. I always like overthink like, oh, if I am I, you know, including everything? Am I not? In, am I including enough? Am I including too much? Is it important to somebody for somebody to know that like my mom had asthma when they're treating me, even though I don't have asthma like the like those kinds of things. Um, and so I can totally understand why you know, a person who may self-manage their abortion may think that they need to tell their doctor about the medications that they've taken because that seems like, you know, uh, an important thing usually. But in this case, um, like Terry has already said, these medicines are very safe and comp are, it's just, it's just a miscarriage. And like, again, miscarriages are so, are so common. Like, I actually have had a couple people in my life announce that they were pregnant in, like, the last week or so, and um, I've been kind of surprised at how far along they were before I found out even people that I'm, like, relatively close to. Um, and part of that, I know, is because, like, it's, like, up to a certain point where it's kind of iffy on whether or not it will be uh, to fruition or not. Miscarriages are really common, and so a person doesn't need to make that distinguish, like that distinction between a, sp a spontaneous miscarriage and uh, a self-managed abortion. Nobody needs to know unless um, there are people in the person getting a self-managed abortion's life um, who are caring for them and n need to be a part of the actual process. Otherwise, it is not necessary to share that specific information. Um, and I, I yeah. just, I can't help but mourn the fact that the intersections between health equity disparity and all of these these pregnancy outcome criminalization issues is, is just so apparent. Like, the reality is many of us have doctors who we we know and trust and have like long established relationships with. I recognize that a large part of the reason that I have that is because I am a person of pretty substantial societal and positional privilege that mm -hmm. as a white man who has had a stable job for a decade, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have a pretty boring life where I get to choose 
you know, somebody who is, uh, you know, a doctor who listens to me, who builds a relationship with me, who knows me, and who I know and trust. And I know that if I share something with my doctor, my doctor is not going to share it with law enforcement. The reality is the people who do not have access to that kind of care and who do not have access and privilege to have that kind of longstanding relationship with a person they can trust are the very people who are already being criminalized and harmed by these abortion bans in the first freaking place. Mm -hmm. So it is just like insult to injury on top of the same communities that cannot trust their government to pass laws that protect their right to just live flourishing lives who Mm -hmm. are going to struggle also with the impact of criminalization. Because I'm going to ask you a question, and this is totally a loaded question, but I'm going to pose it just so that, like, everybody gets to hear the response, right? (laughs) So, Kelly, living in and near Columbus, Ohio, and having Uh lots of experience with Columbus, Ohio, how much do you trust the Columbus police? (laughs) No. (laughs) Absolutely not. Um, Especially as a, you know, a black person living in Columbus, like... You know, when you have, like, helicopters flying around your city on random days, like, it it doesn't feel safe for me to be surrounded by law enforcement. And, you know, you're talking about, like, being able to build this relationship with the people who are supposed to be caring for you. And, like, I, you know, um, as a a black person who is younger and, like... (laughs) has worked in nonprofits for my entire career. Uh, I didn't get access to um, a primary care physician until 2020. Um, Like I had had a a gap in seeing a doctor from like when I was in high school or middle school to, to 2020. And like, even now I see my doctor like, maybe once a year to confirm that my medicine is still working for me. But I see my doctor for like 15 minutes because I live in a city where the doctors are like in need and like need to be seeing lots of people. And so therefore, like I have not had that ability to mm. make a relationship with my doctor. And, you know, I, I know I've talked about this before, like the importance of having um, a healthcare provider that <laughs> in some ways looks like you or uh, share similar experiences. And like, I um, had looked for a little bit for just, I just wanted a woman of color uh, to be my doctor. And um, I, my doctor's great. um, And that's good. But like, I haven't been able to build that kind of relationship. And it was not as easy for me to find uh, a doctor that was covered by my insurance who fit that kind of identity um, thing for me, um, and was available to care for me. And I am relatively well off. And so when it comes to the people who, as, um, reported in this, um, thing that we will put in the show notes, um, you know, people who may not have access to insurance, may not have access to, uh, travel to doctor's appointments, may not have access to building a relationship with a, pi- a primary care physician. Like, it's I, it's not a surprise to me that these people would be the kind of people who would be in danger of being reported by healthcare providers. 
and it just it really sucks so you know if nothing else uh dear listener (laughs) uh i hope what you learned is that uh abortion bans are against all of our religions that's one thing Mm -hmm. and uh the only information that needs to be shared is you know those kind of like symptoms and what the problem is but in the cases of people who choose to self-manage abortion uh the use of my misoprostol or um, mifepristone does not have to be shared it is just a miscarriage um so i will be will be sharing the article uh in our show notes um as well as stuff about our self-managed abortion and good faith training uh but yeah, I hope this uh, this podcast was informative and and helpful for you as we live in this this new world that really sucks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.